0: So let's dive into the Word. I'm excited. Um, you, you guys, let's just address the elephant in the room. I shaved my beard. Yes. <laughs> I look like a baby. My, um, I haven't got comments like I've, I have in the past, because I usually don't shave. But one time th- this girl was like, um, you look so weird. And I was like, thank you? It's like, I don't know what to say. It's like, one of, that's like the, one of the worst things you want to hear is like, what's wrong with your face? You know, like that's never a good thing, so I haven't got one of those this morning. You guys are being very polite. Beckett always says, and whenever I do a clean shave, he goes, Daddy, you look like an old man, because, um, which is like the opposite of what you usually hear when you shave. Like, oh, you look 10 years younger, which most of you think, but my son, he thinks that I look older because his, um, his both of his grandparents, his, his granddad's um, his pop, uh, poppy and his papa, both have clean-shaven faces, and so he's, he's uh, used to that. So anyway, I'm excited to just uh, hit week two of This Is Us, and I uh, want to tell you a little bit. I found these pictures. We use these actually at our wedding, and it was all of our grandparents and parents on their wedding day. It was real cool. We had six of them. Uh, some of you have uh, heard us talk at different times about just kind of a legacy of, um, of marriage in, in our family between just two generations. Um, all the grandparents were married for over 50 years. Uh, both of our parents have been married for over, what, 35 now? Is it something like that? And uh, I think some of the grandparents are like over 60 years now. Some of them have, have gone on and passed. Uh, but this is Robert and Karen Nelson. And uh, this is my mamma and papaw, as I call them. It might be difficult for you to see, but my papaw was in the Air Force here. And uh, my, ma- my, my mamma was uh, a teen bride. Uh, she They got married when they were super young. She got pregnant with my dad, I think when she was 14 years old. And so my dad was born on uh, a military base. They ended up getting married and uh, going out to Oklahoma. And so, yeah, you're like, yeah, that's young, that's young. And so um, she's, she's young. Um, and so they're, they're awesome. And so their story is very, you know, unique in that my grandfather had to uh, you know, quit school when he was um, in high school after his dad who was a, a trash collector, a junk hauler during the day and he was a prize fighter at night. That's probably when he made more money, just beating people up. Um, and my grandfather had to quit after he threw uh, my great grandfather threw his back out and he went to work full time. So he just kind of went into his father role as a teenager. This is my, my other set of grandparents. I call them Granny and Granddaddy but this is Herman and Eileen Sears, my My granny, um, these are super dusty, and I just left them that way, because you can kind of identify um, that in your own home, and uh, that's Herman and Eileen Sears, and uh, my my granny was actually in um, a marriage that was extremely abusive, and she had my mom's oldest sister, um, Darlene, she had her, it was an extremely abusive uh, situation and and they ended up getting a divorce and when my granny, when she tells about it, um, it, she was in just such a a dark place after coming out of that and um, God gave her, um, my granddaddy, Herman Sears, um, no, not of Sears family, we're not crazy loaded because we're related to the Sears family, Um, but um, they God just lined this up, and it was such like a, a godly thing. Even though my grandfather wasn't a believer at the time, he would go on and retire. And after retiring, I think from GE um, for you know forty something years, God called him into full time ministry. After a full career, God called him into full time ministry. And so it's a, another unique kind of story of marriage. This is my this is my parents, and um, they're a beautiful couple. Um, so one time I had to wear a white suit or a white tux in a wedding and I just hated it, no offense, I just didn't look good in it, like everybody else looked real good in it, I didn't, my dad makes this white tux look awesome, Um, and so that was like the thing um, way back when, and so anyway uh, Mike and Peggy Nelson, some of you got to meet them a few weeks ago, my dad came and spoke when I was out of town, and you probably picked up on some mannerisms and um, how I walk like him and sometimes talk like him, and uh, my mom and dad were high school sweethearts. They, they met in high school, or they met when they were young kids and went to high school together, and they did the classic thing where you break up a bunch of times, and so they had several times where they broke up and got back together, and it just seemed like they were always going to end up together. My dad tells this one story of when, I don't know if it was my, the t- a time my mom broke up with him or if he was like in between and like was dating another girl, but anyway, after this breakup, he was so mad, and he, my dad was like this big, tough football player, and he punched the bus tire, which is stupid, because if you've ever touched a bus tire, it's like a brick wall. So he did that, and he like broke his hand. And so uh, their story, I mean, so they got married 18 and 19 um, years old, and uh, have been married ever since. And all these examples, they're all believers now, weren't um, when they all got married, but God's done incredible work in their life. And I I tell this story of, of their relationships, because Every marriage and every relationship is unique. It's unique. There is not one relationship on the face of this planet that is identical. And many times we compare and we look at uh, other things, but God has created you uniquely. And He's created maybe the person that He has for you. Uh, the statistics tell us about 87% of folks want to be married at some point. There is a 10% that the scripture totally affirms. If you don't feel a, a calling to not be married, that's like, God, God bless you. Like there's, there's tons in there. In fact, Paul talks about it like it's a gift, like it's a gift from God to be able to spend your whole life for the kingdom of God and not, as he kind of puts it, kind of be distracted by family. Uh, but that's kind of the, the biblical perspective, uh, at least for Paul, who is a single, single man and he does some teaching on marriage. And so the, the truth of the matter is is that God wants us to know His plan here because we we all have a unique story of you know maybe you know military family and maybe a pregnancy early on and maybe an abusive relationship in the past and may, or maybe it's just a high school sweetheart i don't I don't know kind of what your unique story is and what your unique path is but but God has a plan for it, and I, I want to lean in this morning and just slow down and and teach through God's heart for marriage and his plan for marriage that we see him revealing very early on in uh, the scriptures and in creation. And so uh, I first want to begin in Ephesians chapter 5. But before we, we do that, we'll get there in just a second. Because in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul is quoting a passage in Genesis chapter 2. Does anybody know how the, the Bible begins Like, what are the first four words in the Bible? Anybody can shout it out? In the beginning, God, right? Kind of the first four uh, words that should shape all of our worldview. Like God was here first. He established it all. Like, he put the stars in place, he put the moon in place. In the beginning, God. Like, that frames all of our worldview. So that's the Genesis 1 and 2 are what we know as the, the creation account how does, how does Genesis chapter two end like the creation account? It starts with in the beginning God. how does it end? Anybody know? Adam and Eve were naked and they felt no shame about it that was, that's the how it ends but the verse right before that um, is uh, is the one I really want to draw your attention to that says um, that a husband or a man will leave uh, his mother and father and be joined to his wife and the two shall become. One flesh, And that's what Paul's going to be quoting here in Ephesians 5. So I want to, I want to share with you God's heart for marriage um, and, and look at that here in Ephesians chapter 5. And we're, we're at the very kind of thing, verses 29 through 31. Paul's doing a, a whole teaching here. So let's, let's look at Ephesians 5. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and they care for their body just as Christ does the church. For it we're members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Paul has done this whole kind of exhaustive teaching, one of the most exhaustive teachings we get throughout the scripture, not the only, but one of the most, where he's talking a lot about roles and submission, and it starts all about following the example of Christ. God's plan in marriage is that we would be an example like Christ that it, our, our love for one another would be a reflection. And Paul points it here. He points to this relationship. He said, I'm talking about Christ in the church. Like this love for one another is, is a reflection of how Jesus feels about you. And in so many of us, we come from all kinds of different places when it comes to marriage. Even in this room, like some of you, you've never seen a healthy marriage in your life. Some of you, I never want to be married. Some of you are like, I'm dying to be married. Some of you are like, I'm on my third relationship, and I'm not sure that this one's going to work out either. I'm just nervous about it. come from all these different places. All of us have these different mindsets, but I want you to understand the biblical foundation for it is that we would be Christ-like, that it would be a reflection of God's love. And there is a uniqueness. Your relationship will not be like anyone else's on the face of the planet. Like Taryn and I on the outside look like we have a lot in common, and we do, we do have a lot in common. Foundationally, our love for Jesus. And the families we were raised in were very similar. Our love languages, if you're familiar with that terminology, are the same. But we actually did um, like a little assessment recently And we were looking at it, and man, our communication styles and our problem solving, uh, how we solve conflict, is polar opposite. And so, like, your relationship, because of your personality and because of your baggage that you bring in and because of your passions and, uh, you know, kind of the roles and skills and passions, it makes up its own unique identity. And so there is this diversity with every single relationship, but there is also this uniformity of all the relationships and all marriages that they should be a reflection of who God is and reflection of Christ. This passage is pointing us to that deep love that one person has for another. And if, and if you're single in this house and, you're not, and marriage is not even on your radar, here's my challenge for you. Love the church like Christ loved the church. Give your life for the church like Christ gave his life for the church. If we're going to follow that example, if you're married in this room, follow the example of Christ. Give your life. I always joke about this. Is like sometimes, like, guys, we want to, um, you know, we want to do this. We want to fulfill this example. But then we complain about taking out the trash. It's like, you, you can't follow the example of Christ in which he laid down his life and then complained about taking the trash out, you know? And, and, and the same is, is flipped as well, ladies, that there is this sacrificial love for one another that brings us to unity. I remember this quote from about 15 years ago. I know that's a long time, but I was like this pseudo weird teenager philosopher boy that I, I had these weird quotes that just stuck with me and sometimes they took me on really wild rabbit trails, but this one has stuck with me for a long time. I don't remember where it came from, but it's that a fence always falls long enough to realize why it was put there in the first place. A fence always falls long enough to realize why it was put there in the first place. While well, you're kind of thinking through that, it might be best told through a story about seven or eight years ago. I remember hearing a story about a youth group or like a high school group that went to Six Flags. And uh, there was these students that looked at the fence with a large sign on it, and it says danger, do not jump, extreme danger, caution, if you jump over, extreme risk of injury and death. And what did those kids do? They jumped over, and what happened? They lost their head. They were decapitated, okay? So parents, if you have your kids that don't know how to obey instructions, just keep telling them that story, and I'm sure at some point, It'll sink in. It'll sink in. No, that, it, it's a, a really tense example. As many times we look at the signs. God lays the foundation for us. He sets up, up parameters for our lives. And we see that from the very beginning of creation. The first thing he was did, he, he did not want man to exist alone. And so he, he, did, he created two things. One, marriage. The second thing, the church. New Testament shows us this. And he, in the beginning, he said, I want this to be a family want this to be a family and so don't do life alone don't do life alone he's called you into communion he's called you into companionship whether that's in a romantic kind of uh, um, marriage type way or it's just genuine friendships within the body of Christ with brothers and sisters he's called you into that many times we look at the fence and we want to jump it there is something within every single one of us that when there is a do not enter sign we just got to know we just got to we just want to jump over, and that is rebellion towards god That's it 's sin that that 's present there that just longs to whatever you know we just want to do what the flesh desires and so I, I encourage you as you kind of explore marriage there 's a lot of different philosophies and a lot of ideas go back to the original intent that God lays that the foundation. Of humanity, of human population, of human pleasure, and of moral purpose was in this most intimate relationship of marriage. God has design. He had a design there that, that he, he, he wants there to be multiplication, and that kind of brings me to my, my next thought here is, wh- why, does, why does God hate divorce? Like, God hates divorce? Look into the scriptures. God hates divorce. Why, why does God hate divorce? He hates divorce because he loves covenant. Many times we get caught on what he's against and we miss what he's for. Okay, a lot of times when we, we see a sign and we don't realize it's for our good. And so I want to draw your attention not to what he's against but what he's for. The reason that he is, he he hates divorce is because he loves covenant, because he loves intimacy, because he loves multiplication. This passage in Micah, uh, uh, excuse me, Malachi, the last. Um, prophetic book we have in the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 2, look at verse 15. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit, and what does the, the one God seek? Godly offspring. Uh, so be on your car, uh, guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. If you look at this whole section, he's really talking about how God hates divorce. I'm just giving you the one verse here because it brings up godly offspring, and I think that's at the heart because God loves multiplication. And it's only through intimacy that multiplication happens. What's the first commandment that God gives Adam and Eve? The first commandment. They're naked. Be fruitful. (laughs) Be fruitful and multiply. Like God wants godly offspring. He wants population to happen. He wants his word to go out. He wants family to be established and to be created. It's it's in God's heart and God's design for there to be healthy, godly families that will populate the earth and reflect his goodness and character as much as the mountains and the seas reflect the awe-inspiring of God the creator, our marriages should give the same effect to those around us that we say, wow, that's beautiful. I've I've never seen love like that before. And then we can be like, you want to you want to know why because of Jesus i want to tell you about Jesus that it would it would point everything back to Jesus you see it's only through intimacy that multiplication happens in our relationships like many times we try to isolate and run things independently and we've got so many people that and this is a this is a challenge and if you're in a, a a dating relationship that's working towards marriage, if you are in a second marriage situation or if you're kind of exploring that, here's what one of the largest things that you're gonna run against is that it's two independent people. Like when my grandparents got married, they were 14 and 18 years old, 18 and 19 years old. They were were very young. And, And so there wasn't like this long kind of decade of independence, but in our current era, Like we wait much longer to get married and many times it's up into the 30s and sometimes even, you know, much later. And so there's this whole life of where we've kind of preached this gospel of independence as Americans. I just want to create an independent child that can take care of themselves, and then we hit marriage, and then we start figuring out, and we've got all this baggage from time, and I'm like, well, I think we're supposed to do this together, so I can't be completely independent, but I'm kind of depressed, and I met this girl who's kind of depressed too, or I've got this addiction, and so I met this other person who we just kind of, and we become codependent, and so we've got these two different ways that we're trying to figure out how to make this marriage thing work. In, two independent people like butting heads, doing it their own way, or two people who are super codependent and like we're just like hanging on by a thread, and as soon as one gets healthy, they're ready to split because I'm good now. But that's not God's plan for marriage. It's not independence or codependence. It's two people who are completely dependent on Him, two people who are completely dependent on Him. And so singles in the room, like, if, if they're not in love with Jesus and you're married already, keep praying and trust God for a breakthrough that they're going to understand his grace and his mercy. If, if you're not married yet, then you still have an opportunity to obey God's command to you. And his warning to you is don't be unequally yoked. Don't get in with someone. Do you, do you know what the, the word yoke means? Is, is this old school kind of thing where you would get two donkeys... And they'd put, like, a, a yoke, and then, like, you'd plow a field with it, or horses, or whatever. And you'd get, there's two of them. you guys know what I'm talking about? I don't have the illustration, but you, you get in it, and, and Jesus says, like, take, my, my yoke is easy, and, and he's saying, I want you to do this with me. But the scripture also says, don't be unequally yoked. He doesn't want you to be tied in with a donkey that wants to run that way, when you're running towards Jesus. Okay, so it, it, it's not... Because he's trying to restrict. We're we're looking at at what uh, he's against, but look at what he's for. He wants you to be passionately in love with him, and he wants you to be able to have an intimacy in your relationship so that everyone around will just be like, whoa. As much as the sun setting at night or the sunrise rising, and we say, oh, wow, that's beautiful. May people around us say the same thing. God loves marriage, and he hates divorce because he loves covenant, and he loves intimacy because intimacy brings multiplication. Many times, you've heard the statistics about marriage, right? Like, 50% of them end in divorce, right? That's heavy. That's heavy. Singles in the room, folks that that are are dating and and stuff right now, that's heavy. Like, is that really what's going to happen to me? There's a fear that even sometimes unsaid and unspoken, there's a fear. Like, I hope that's not me. What if, what if I'm wrong? What if they change? And like, the, the, I'll get on a tangent there, but we've heard those statistics, and, and you probably heard it said, too, that the statistics inside the church about divorce are the exact same as they are out. So some of us are thinking, what's the point? Well, that statistic is a little bit misleading because other studies have shown that that a couple that are both actively involved in their faith, not just a couple times a year, not just uh, uh, their faith is just kind of a side you know thing every once in a while, but when it's active, the, the the statistics go down by like 35%. Okay? So, that statistic that's been running out there is not true. It, it's kind of misleading because two people that are actively involved in their faith. Okay? When we talk about the church, it, it, the statistic is meaning just people that attend church like once a year or something. So, um, not against anybody that attends church once a year. We're glad you're here if that's you. But it's, um, the statistic can be misleading. And sometimes, when we think about people that, that maybe you're, you're in a remarriage situation or maybe you're kind of on the, the the brink of divorce and you're just like i'm kind of over it, and uh, they're kind of over it, um, we might think, hey, the statistics you know you know will get better because right i 'll kind of work on me and they'll work on them, and then we'll both have better marriages. But the truth of the matter is the statistic actually gets higher like the, the chance of divorce goes up by like ten percent and if you make it to like five years, your statistics actually come back down, like you actually have a better chance kind of for survival. And why, why is that? Why is, because many times there's been a distance where independence has been brought in there. Like we've allowed to be independent. And I, and I just want to tell you, if you're in a situation, married or not, and, and you're just kind of running full-heartedly independence, like our whole life as believers, single or married, is not about independence contrary to what American society tells us, it's about complete dependence on God. It's not about us kind of being this isolated thing, and you can't be a part of the body of Christ when you're saying, I can do this on my own. It's the antithesis of what the body of Christ is supposed to be. It's supposed to say, I I can't do this without you. Like, you are my lungs, and I'm your foot, man, and we just got to do this together. I rely on you. You need me, and I need you, and we're we're in this together, and if you hate me, I'm sorry. We, we're just gonna learn to love each other. I keep looking at you, man. I made eye contact, <laughs> and it was heavy. We're just gonna do this thing, man. We're just gonna do this thing. Uh, he was like, "Whoa, bro!" Like <laughs> he's up. He's like grabbing his wife a little closer. Uh, he's like, "Hold me." Um, sorry, super tangent. Um, God, God loves multiplication. And he hates divorce because it's reflective, and you may be in a situation right now or like, "Well, what, what, about, what about this? This is my situation, right? We've all, we've all got that. The Scripture gives it, uh, uh, grounds for divorce. It does. In cases of infidelity is from Old Testament to New Testament is, is consistent. The one area that often gets brought up are, are areas of abuse, and I think God is like, if you're in an abusive situation, God doesn't want you to live in that. It's not God's desire for you to stay in a place that's going to harm you. So what that looks like in your life. So it it gives grounds for, for that. But that doesn't mean that's always the solution. That doesn't mean that's what God's calling you to. This room probably has in it you know, someone who in their marriage, like there's infidelities happen, whether that that has been emotional or physical, there's been abuse that's happened, whether that's been physical or verbal, like that's happened, and and maybe you're still sticking through it, and you're still pushing through, and you can trust God. The scriptures don't just say like, well, if this happens, then this is what you do. I say you trust God and lean into what God's going to do, because sometimes what seems to be the way. God, God will make a way when there wasn't a way, right? We just sang that. We just declared that. And it, it, if you're in a situation like that, I would love for you to read the book of Hosea, where God actually calls this guy to go marry this promiscuous woman that had a reputation that was a mile long because he wanted that relationship, that marriage, to be a declaration of his faithfulness and his love. And so that's not always the solution. We could go on a, a much longer Kind of tangent about that. Many times what I hear from folks who kind of in a place where it's like I'm just over it. I, we hear this phrase a lot. You've heard this. I just don't love them anymore. We just don't love each other anymore. That's just not a biblical phrase. It's not a biblical phrase. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 13 explains to us that love is patient. So what you're telling me is that I just, I'm just not patient with him anymore. It says that love is kind. I'm just not kind to her anymore. If we look at the biblical definition of love, that's really not an excuse. Love is a, is a commitment. It's a, it's a covenant. It, it's only from a place that we have received it from God are we able to offer it to anyone else. And so if your tank is empty, run to the source. Run to the well. And Jesus, as he was sitting with a woman of well who had six husbands, and he knew exactly what was going on in her life, and he met her that day, and he said, I've got, I've got living water where you'll never thirst again. And if your tank is empty in your marriage or even in singleness right now, your tank is empty, run to the well that never runs dry. He'll give you living, living water. final thing is, is just the plan that God has for our healing. Plan for our healing. So it's heart for marriage, it's hatred of divorce, it's love for covenant. And in here is plan for our healing. I'm going to read you 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, which is a powerful text. Chapter 3 through v- chapter 5 here are some of my three favorite chapters in all of Scripture. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit say, well, pastor, we're just kind of in two different places. We're just different people. We have different interests. Remember going back to that that Ephesians passage. It's God's will, and he points it right here. Paul points it that it's a a reflection of Christ's love for the church. And so here's the good news, and here's the bad news all in one, right? Do you want the good news the bad news? It's both. It's the same thing. It makes it so hard in in marriage because it's two independent or codependent people trying to make it work, people that are very unique and different, and every relationship is different. The thing that's the good news and the bad news this morning is that everything and everyone has to change. I heard this quote a long time ago that the test of marriage, the true sense of marriage is waking up to a person you don't recognize and loving them still. and loving them still because they've grown bitter because they've been hurt because they're in a season that they never thought they'd be in and loving them still that's that's kind of but there's hope today there's hope today because everything and everyone has to change and it's the only and it's the only way for us to be a reflection of Jesus because unless i'm wrong and there is someone who is born perfect like baby Jesus in this room which I'm just going to go ahead and go out on a limb. There's probably not. Unless there was, then every single one of us have to be transformed into his image. We've been marred by sin. We've been marred by rebellion in which we want to jump the fence and do our own thing. And God, God is calling us into his image. And maybe you've had a veiled face where the word of God has not resonated and struck deep within your heart, but I'm just praying today that that some veils would come off and and, and we just kind of push everything aside and what we think this turnout and this relationship was gonna be and we just say, God, um, as I contemplate your glory, your overwhelming majesty that put the stars in place and designed human relationship and sexuality, you designed that, God, as I contemplate your glory that it is as bright as the stars in the sky and here is manifested in this room as well. God, I, I pray, I pray that you transform me into your image. We're all called to change. There's a lot of talk, and, and if you look at gender roles over the past 50 or 60 years ago, stay at home dad was not a terminolo- was not a term in the, the dictionary, you know, uh, I don't know if that'd be in the dictionary, but it was not a, a, a common term 50 years ago. You didn't see uh, very many women CEOs 50 years ago. Gender roles have been kind of mixed and mashed in our modern day, postmodern 21st century society. And I don't think that scares God at all because here's the thing. What what was going 50 years ago wasn't necessarily a reflection of him either. What's a reflection is when a man and when a wife say, I want to be more like Jesus. And so the man is called to come out of maybe it's all about the principle right now and and move into um, compassion, you know, and some, this is all like mix and jumble, so I'm running with the stereotypes for a second, but the stereotype is a man lives on principle and a, a woman lives on more of emotion, and, and if we look at the ministry of Jesus, he never forsakes the principle, and he never forsakes compassion, he embodies them both, and so out of whatever gender role and conceptions you've had of what your marriage is going to be like or it's supposed to be like even right now, God calls us away from that to be more like Jesus, to fulfill both principle and compassion, to never let go of the word of God, but to, to focus and in, in, in predominantly embodying it as well, embodying the word of God. God's calling us to be more like him, to be a reflection of him. And maybe you're in this room, and you're like, that's the furthest thing on my mind. Or maybe you're right in the middle of it, and you're just like, man, I'm I'm about done with this thing. I'm about ready to bounce if something doesn't change. And I just want you to know that God's got a plan. God's got a plan. You might not understand, you might not see his hand at work, but when you can't see his hand, you need to trust his heart. You need to trust his plan that he spoke it into being, and he has a plan for it. And so I, my challenge for you today is just what's, what's the step in you right now? Maybe single adults, it's just, man, I've been super bitter and jaded by the church. And if, if I'm supposed to be a reflection of Jesus and Christ gave his life for the church, but I hate it, am I a reflection of him? Maybe that's what I'm called into today. I don't know where you're at. I know we're in a lot of different places, but I believe that they're going to they're sing us a, a song here and lead us in a song And I want it to be a declaration for us this morning. So I want to invite you to stand and worship. And I'll come back and invite us to the table. I just want us to engage in worship. Because this song says, all the earth will shout your praise. All of the earth will see, God. All of them. And I pray that's what God would see out of the marriages that come forward in here. That this would be a place where marriages are made whole and restored. Let me pray over you. God, thank you thank you for this house. Thank you for the people that are filling this room God and I just pray right now that you'd stir something up within us to just seek after your heart God because your hand follows your heart and I just pray God that we would just experience and encounter the depth of your love for us that we might have a well deep within a living well God where we can bring forth that love into those that are in front of us. God, I pray for singles in this room that are restless in the season. As we said last week, I pray that they would rest in the season and you would bring a hundredfold reaping in this season as they just rest right where they're at and know that it's a godly season. It's no reason to be an insecure season. It's a God-ordained season. God, all the different things that are are represented in this room, you know, I can't even name them all, God, because it's so complex and unique, but you know speaking to the depths of our spirit. Let it resonate within us, God, that we would be transformed with unveiled faces, would be transformed to the image of your son, Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.